start, uh, if you would all, maybe all of us that have an Old Testament could stand so that everyone can hear this verse, the verses, Gen- uh, uh, Genesis 2, verses 21, 22, and 23, keeping in mind that the uh, title of this, uh, of this message is The Bride, the application of these verses to that title. Amen? Amen. Okay, we can go. And Jehovah God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. And Jehovah God built the rib which he had taken from the man into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, This time, this is bone of my bones, and flesh of my flesh. This one shall be called woman, because out of man this one was taken. And let's have the sisters do Ephesians 5.27. And brothers, uh, Revelation 19, 7 through 9. Maybe we could stand. Release our spirit in these verses. Let us rejoice and exult. And let us give the glory to him. For the marriage of the Lamb has come. Has made herself ready, and it was given to her that she should be clothed in fine linen, bright and clean. And the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. And he said to me, Right, blessed are those who are called to the marriage dinner of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. Okay, and then everyone on verses 21, 2, and then 9 through 11. It seems to be a lot better if we stand. (laughs) Amen. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. And one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and spoke with me saying, Come here, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in spirit onto a great and high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Her light was like 
stone, like a jasper stone, as clear as crystal. Amen. Uh, can, could we have uh, three or four saints pray for this meeting? Lord Jesus, we give you this meeting. Oh, Lord, thank you for bringing us here at this time. We pray for Paris in our hearts. We could be one with you to consummate this age. Think of you need the bride. for this meeting this Amen. morning. Amen. And we thank you for the first sharing. Amen. For pouring out yourself to us. Amen. We look to you again for this meeting. Amen. We'll open our eyes more thoroughly. Concerning your desire to have the bride. Lord, we want to make ourselves ready. Amen. We want to prepare ourselves. Amen. Lord, we want the body to become the bride. Amen. Speak to our brother Ron again. Amen. Open the words to us. Impart more revelation and light to us. Infuse us with your up to date burden. Amen. general subject is the economy of God, the body of Christ, and the consummation of the age. When we consider the economy of God and the body of Christ in relation to the consummation of the age, we can and should have a particular a feeling in our spirit. God's eternal purpose is to produce the new Jerusalem by mingling himself with his chosen and redeemed people. The process of producing the new Jerusalem as a corporate person takes place dispensationally. That is, it takes place through a series of of ages or dispensations. God's administration is related not only to space, that is, the heavens and the earth, but also to time. Time means a great deal to God. And the more we experience Christ, the more we will realize the place of God's timing in our own lives. From time to time, I point out to the trainees in Anaheim, we're here to do God's will in God's way and at God's time. And I also admitted to them, as I admit to you now, that regarding God's time, I've only made two mistakes. I'm either ahead or behind. <laughs> Apart from that, I'm just fine. 
when the Lord was on the earth, he had such a sense. My hour has not yet come. They could not arrest him. His hour has not come. He could tell his brothers, my time is not here. In Daniel chapter 9, with the prophecy of the 70 weeks, which are years actually, we see God's administration in time. And how after the 69th week, there is a gap in which is inserted the age of the church, which is the age of grace, which is the age of mystery. Then, eventually, this gap will end, and the 70th week of seven years will begin. And all the living overcomers will be on the earth for the first three and a half weeks of the, of the 70th week. The great tribulation begins at the midpoint when Antichrist is resuscitated as a counterfeit of resurrection. And the spirit of Antichrist and of the enemy is embodied in him and he manifests himself by sitting in the temple demanding to be worshipped. That is the rebuilt temple in Jerusalem. Obviously the rebuilding took place before that time. The rapture of the overcomers takes place just before the tribulation. My point is, the living overcomers will see the rebuilding of the temple. That will be a little late for someone to start earnestly seeking the Lord. Even though the Lord can do a lot in three and a half years, especially in intensification, we shouldn't wait for outward events of prophecy to motivate us. We should be enlightened so that even though the world goes in one direction, we go in another direction because of the Lord's enlightenment. So the Lord has a series of ages from Adam to Moses to produce the patriarchs and others to be the new Jerusalem from Moses until Christ to produce his people Israel. Then starting with the coming of John the Baptist and the appearing of the Lord Jesus is a great, was a great dispensational change. It was so great that even the apostles in the first chapter of Acts were not that clear. The Lord had spent three and a half years with them. After his resurrection, he met with them for 40 days, giving them a seminar, I would say, on the kingdom of God. He spoke on the kingdom of God. Then when they got a chance to ask a question in Acts chapter 1, they said, Lord, will you now restore the kingdom to Israel? They were still thinking, Israel. In chapter 15, when James can speak, he speaks of the restoration of the tabernacle of David, the kingdom to Israel. 
So in the book of Acts, the apostles themselves are making this transition. Acts is a book. We'll see probably the winner of 08 when we have the crystallization study of Acts, perhaps, that there is a dispensational transfer taking place. And Paul, in particular, was an instrument for effecting this transfer. Well, at the end of the present age, the age of grace, the age of the church, the age of mystery, there will be a colossal, unprecedented, stupendous change of dispensation. It will be so great, there will be a universal travailing. The Lord Jesus speaks of the tribulation as a woman in travail. Brother Lee expounds on this in the life study of Mark. It's like all of creation is going through birth pangs to produce another age. And there will be resistance of two kinds, at least, to the ending of this age and the coming of the kingdom age. There will be the active resistance of the enemy embodied in Antichrist and active on the earth, who will be enraged. This is what happens when people are so desperate. They're only motivated by, by rage at the end. There's no rational answer. You will have great rage. That's Revelation 12. Then there will be the passive resistance of earth dwellers. And Revelation repeats that expression. Who simply like things to stay as they are. There is this inertia. So how will the Lord bring about this momentous change of dispensation. He must have an instrument. We spoke of this in a crystallization study of Revelation way back in the last century, in 1999. But it's hard to remember things we spoke in another century. So it's good to review whenever the Lord wants to make such a change. On the human side, he must have an instrument a person or persons who are one with him and who cooperate with him. So Daniel was such a person. Even though he did not leave Babylon, he was used to turn that situation. God wants to bring the kingdom to the earth. The kingdom solves God's problem of rebellion in this universe, and of rebellion on the earth. God's primary purpose is to have his image expressed through man on earth, his expression. But he cannot have his expression apart from the kingdom. There must be a realm where God can freely carry out whatever is on his heart. So the kingdom age is something needed especially for God, for his enemy to be limited, to be bound, for him to have the earth which he has redeemed as the venue, the environment 
for him to express himself. So if you study the Gospels and the teaching of Jesus, it's focused very much on the kingdom. The Gospel is the Gospel of the kingdom. The Lord taught us concerning life in the kingdom. To be in the church in the spirit is to live the life of the kingdom. The built up church brings in the kingdom. And then the church, which is the reality and practicality of the kingdom, is used by the Lord through its prayer and its warfare based upon its building to turn the age. The overcomers who are produced by the Lord in the church will be the dispensational instrument to work out this great dispensational change. A few things are certain. One is, this age will end. Whether we are ready for it or not, whether we like it or not, it will end. Just as the previous ages ended by divine decision. By God and His administration. It will end. Another thing is certain that after the tribulation time a new age will be brought in that will be the kingdom of God manifested on the earth. When the kingdom is manifested there will be, I say it again, unprecedented change, social change, political change. For instance, no government, no human government, no politicking. I'm tired already of the 08 election system uh, campaigns which began a year ago. Will 012 begin the evening of the inauguration in 09? I'm tired of it, of everybody. I'm unbiased. I'm against everybody. <laughs> I'm for nobody. And then, no money. You can leave home without your American Express card because it won't be honored anywhere. No money system. How's that going to affect uh, people that are in all kinds of pure commerce activities and are heavily invested in this and that? It's it's going to be over. The Lord will claim rights over all the property on the earth. According to Revelation 10, one foot on the land, one foot on the sea, saying it's all mine. Okay, you need evidence. Number one, I created it. Number two, I redeemed it. Now, I don't care if you work with Cobalt Banker or any, any other real estate firm. That was during man's day now it's the Lord's day I decide everything and the fact is you don't own anything and according to the type in Genesis which actually was mimicked by certain totalitarian communist governments the people eventually didn't have anything they gave themselves to Joseph they were relocated the desert the Sahara Desert will blossom like a rose. Imagine the desert outside of Las Vegas. 
The overcomers will go there if there are any righteous in that city. You got will burn the gambling casinos, burn the gambling paraphernalia. Now what are you going to do? Raise kumquats in the desert. Okay, it's blossoming. You read Isaiah 35. I'm trying to give you an impression. There will be indescribable change. Okay. We either believe these prophecies will actually be fulfilled, or we don't. And we choose to believe the Word of God. We don't say, oh, it's all symbolic, whatever. No. The prophecies regarding Christ's first coming were fulfilled exactly. He died at the right place. He died at the time, according to Daniel 9. The prophecies of His second coming will also be fulfilled in detail. And the kingdom will come. No human government. No money. No private property. You won't even have the right to yourself. But there are really advantages. No devil. He's bound. I don't think there will be any more debates in the U.S. about universal health care. That I don't know if they'll have any physicians. Because there will be the powers of the coming age to cast out demons and heal all kinds of things and do miracles. And if someone dies at 100 years old, they'll say, oh, so young. There will be such an age. It will still be in the old creation. It is not yet the new heaven and the new earth. It is needed by God. It's going to happen. It will be an age of righteousness. No war. How about that? No weapons of war. How much of our budget goes into defense? Now we're going to build a defense shield. We're going to build that. I, I don't... It, it, it's just... It's hard to imagine. But no more war. They will not learn war. But no, no atheists. You'll have to all go up to Jerusalem to worship the Lord of hosts once a year. Or no rain. Maybe in the UK you would like a time of no rain, no flooding, no water. But anyway, the people will eventually have one language. What it will be, I don't know. Maybe Mandarin. (laughs) We don't know. God is going to do this. And we are living at the very end of the age of grace, the age of the church, the age of the mystery. In this age, the Lord is relating to people by grace. He is not quick to judge according to righteousness. He's very merciful and very gracious. And He is giving grace that we would enjoy grace to be built up as the church, the body of Christ. Those who are in the reality of the body of Christ, They will be the dispensational instrument. They know where they are. They know where they're going. They know in principle what is happening. They do not live on this earth for the delight of their soul. Their attitude is they're willing to lose their soul. They're willing to suffer in their soul. If that's what it takes for God's purpose to be fulfilled. They will not be left without joy. They'll have the supreme enjoyment of Christ in their spirit and in their soul. 
the Lord is speaking and will continue to speak so that eventually his hand will follow his word to produce such persons in the churches for him. Surely if you're a part of this dispensational instrument, you will be an overcomer when you meet the Lord. It is surely noble and necessary to have the personal aspiration to be an overcomer. But we must see something beyond our personal attainment. We must see into God's heart, into His will, into His mind as revealed in His Word. We need to receive something from Him that we will be one with Him. We will agree with Him. Then heaven and earth will be one. Heavens bind, earth binds. Heaven releases, earth releases. Heaven desires this, earth desires this. Then we will pray powerful prayers. Prayers of government. Prayers of warfare. And these prayers will be used by the Lord to change the age. So, if we just talked about the body of Christ, we can do that. And it might be enlightening and motivating. If we just talk about God's economy, God's plan is dispensing to have a corporate expression. Uh, this were new to us. We would be excited if it's old. You know, we might have a kind of lukewarm response. But when we put it together with the thought of consummation, which is time-sensitive, that there is a process that will be brought to completion and consummation, then we realize not everything, actually hardly anything, is going to be up to our personal preference. When the age is about to change, it will change. When the Lord comes, He will come, ready or not. But he wants us to be enlightened, not just so that we will be prepared, not go through the tribulation, and be uh, raptured to the throne, but that while we are here, we can actively cooperate with him. The Lord intends to open up another dimension of prayer. Prayer to carry out God's administration. Prayer to bring into fulfillment all that is in the Lord's heart. God needs this. This conference is first for God. And God's desire, God's economy, God's goal. Then once we see that and are aligned with that, then we can receive great spiritual supply and benefit. We will be revived, we will be vitalized, we will be invigorated. Even if I'm not sure in what country I'm in, or what time zone I'm in, once I become conscious that I'm still here, I realize, Lord, I give you today, I consecrate this day, today I live for the carrying out of your economy. Amen. Wherever I am, with whomever I am, and whatever I'm doing, this is why I live and breathe. It makes life full of meaning, full of purpose. Now, the body of Christ in its reality. Oh, let me put it this way. 
when we live in the reality of the body of Christ, we will have the reality not only of the body, but of the bride, the army, the stone, and the mountain. So we are experiencing something all-inclusive when we're in the reality of the body. We will have the love of the bride, the skill of the warrior, the weight of the stone, and the reigning of the kingdom. So actually we're not talking objectively about things in the future. Although the bride will in fact make herself ready in the future, she will be presented to the Lord in the future, the wedding feast will begin in the future. The principle is, what you are determined today determines where you will be in that, at that time. So just to study prophecy, detached from God's economy, will not help us. And surely, spending your time and your money reading Left Behind, now there has to be a prequel. Where did that come from? Sounds like Hollywood to me. Now there's going to be a prequel. It's kind of ironic. Those that believe in the imminent end of the age are making tens of millions of dollars writing about the imminent age, end of the age with a defective theology. We should take it on in A and C. What do you think, Jim? Okay. We want to link, as the Bible links, as Brother Lee linked, the prophecies with God's economy. The combination is powerful. Now we come to the bride. To say a little bit, within the limitation of time, and allowing time for your response, which was most uh, encouraging to me personally, and I'm thankful for it. The bride. Uh, let me read the first two points of the outline and then insert a word on the love of the bride, which in particular is a burden. The marriage of the Lamb is the issue of the completion of God's New Testament economy, which is to obtain for Christ a bride, the church, through his judicial redemption, and by his organic salvation in the divine life. In a very real sense, the bride or the wife is the ultimate consummation. The new Jerusalem is, is the bride. It's the wife. In Revelation 19, we have the bride prepared, but not with finality. In Revelation 19, it's the overcomers who are the bride, the wife. In Revelation 21, it is all the believers from all the ages who are the wife. So in between the first stage of being the bride, there needs to be the army, the stone, and the mountain. Because we're not in eternity yet. We're not in the new heaven and the new earth yet. There is still the enemy to be dealt with. Human government to be obliterated. And the kingdom to be manifested. So we do have the bride in Revelation 19. 
And the bride is really the ultimate consummation of the entire economy of God because the New Jerusalem is the bride. But we're not at the point of ultimacy in Revelation 19. Between Revelation 19 and 21, right? You've got the kingdom, you've got the war at Armageddon, you have the judgment of Satan, of, of death, of the demons, of all the unbelievers. You have the old heaven and the old earth consumed by fire and reshaped to be the new heaven and the new earth. Then you have the bride in fullness. So our focus on the bride is the bride in the first stage. The bride at the end of this age and the bride during the coming kingdom. And the bride is produced first through judicial redemption. And recently we pointed out, as early as last week in the pre-training, trainees, we realize you are hungry for spiritual experiences. But your experiences must have a foundation on God's judicial redemption. Or you are building a structure in the air. When you fail, I don't say if, when you fail, you have to know what to do judicially to recover. Otherwise, you'll make progress in an inward way, and then you have a failure. The result of that failure is you're so disoriented, you're so discouraged, you don't know what to do. But God is not disoriented. He's not discouraged. He allowed this to happen so you would, your self-righteousness would be shattered. So that now you can be built up with the rest of us failures. Okay? You're not there. We're, we're, all, we're all reduced. But you know how to recover from that. You actually believe that the blood of Jesus, God's Son, is presently cleansing you from every sin. And that God is bound by His righteousness to forgive you. Then you can go on to have the experiences of organic salvation, sanctification, renewing, transformation, confirmation, glorification. Okay, two, the church as the bride of Christ is a matter of satisfaction <clears throat> and rest in love. So when we're at the bride stage, there's, there's no thought of the enemy. Don't bring the enemy into this. Don't bring human government into this. This is the wedding day. Why are you talking about the world situation on your wedding day? This is your honeymoon time. It's just you and your beloved. The Lord wants to put something in our being that deep within us we live for His satisfaction. We live that the desire of His heart would be fulfilled. And if the Lord puts us on such a course, we may experience temporary, that's to speak conservatively, temporary periods of dissatisfaction. The reason I mention this is, the Lord is not going to give you easy satisfaction. The Lord wants you to know that your satisfaction 
is based on his satisfaction. To have satisfaction apart from God's satisfaction is really selfish and self-centered. I just have my need met. My desire is fulfilled. I'm happy. My thirst is quenched. My hunger uh, is taken care of. My needs are met. What about the desire of God's heart? What about the good pleasure of His will? What about the longing in His being? Love requires and enables us to sense this, to care for this. That's why I pointed out recently, after many Lord's Table meetings, deep in our spirit, there'll be no sense of rest because we have not adequately worshipped the Father to satisfy the longing in His being. But when we care for the desire of God's heart and His rest as a byproduct, we have satisfaction and rest. In God's satisfaction and rest. And that's the only satisfaction and rest I'm interested in. What kind of life is it to have peace in some kind of human way, yet God does not rest? David knew something of this. Let's give David some credit. He said, I'm not going to my house. I'm not going to lie down in my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes until I find out a place for the Lord. He must have a place of rest. But some saints, again speaking conservatively, in the U.S. in particular, seem quite able to find security and find rest and things less than this. Where is the restlessness of the earnest seekers of the Lord? I don't believe our dear brother Benson Phillips will have rest until there's a proper response to the burden for the Lord's move to Europe. How can he have rest? How can we have rest as we labor in oneness with him to carry out Brother Lee's burden? I don't mean that now, okay, you've got to take Salmonex for the rest of your life. You can never get a good night's sleep. Last night I prayed for this. Lord, I need a good rest for the sake of the ministry of the Word. I'm talking about touching the longing in God for a dwelling place, for a counterpart. Adam's whole experience was a type. When God said it's not good for man to be alone, he was saying, it's not good for me to be alone. I don't want to be alone. I don't want to be a bachelor for eternity. I want to get married. In our culture, there's this notion, the man doesn't want to get married, it's the woman that wants to get married. If you're a real man, you will sense the longing in you for a wife. And you will wake up and find one. Part, this is not a primary burden, it's a secondary burden. Wake up the sleeping brothers. Do you really want to know the Lord? You need a helper. 
I be you believe me, you need a helper. Someone designed to really help you experience the Lord, to know the Lord's heart. Okay, end of the illustration, close of the parenthesis. Now that's the fulfillment of the secondary burden. Now we're back on the main line. The brothers want to sleep, sleep until the end of the age. Go ahead. I did my best. But God has a longing in him. We like to sing him 1159, Jesus, Lord, I'm captured by thy beauty. That hymn is written out of a sense of longing. Lord, you will be satisfied. That's how it ends. Do you think the Roman Catholic Church will be the bride and the rest? Will any of the state churches be the satisfaction and rest of the Lord? Will the big charismatic ministries be the satisfaction and rest of the Lord? Will a routine church life be a satisfaction and rest to the Lord? No way! Only those who have the love of the bride, the heart of the bride, the spirit of the bride, who long to contribute to His satisfaction. I love that hymn. Oh, what an hour sweet when bride and bridegroom meet and love surpassing comprehend. I want to be there to see Him happy. To see what kind of expression comes from Him when He was on the cross despising the shame. There was a joy set before Him. Surely that joy must have something to do with his bride, with his counterpart. He loved the church, gave himself up for her, that he might produce something out of his own being to match him and complement him for his satisfaction and rest. That's the bride. Now, I pause here in the outline to insert the following. Then we'll read the outline, then you'll get to, to share something. To say the obvious, the bride mainly loves. She loves. That's what it comes down to. The husband wants the love of his bride. And the love, and I'm going to give you eight points that are my present understanding of the bridal love. This love is a because love. And this odd expression because love is based on 1 John 4.19. We love because He first loved us. We love because. We love because. That is why it's pointless to exhort the saints, oh, have more love, be more loving. That's an invitation to self-effort. That leads you outside of God's economy. We love because He first loved us. The love which is God, the love which is the triune God, is dispensed into us experientially. And this love produces in us a love for Him and a love for one another. 
One of the most corrupting things that has ever come into the church life is the exercise of natural human love. Honey love. In 1978, there was a so-called brotherly love flow. It was leaven. It, it was, it would, it's not love which is the nature of God's essence. Love which is the inner substance of God. So love begins with God. So when I give you these eight points, I hope you won't be subjected to say, oh, oh, can I do that? Oh, I can't do that. Whether you can or can't, they're both irrelevant. Everything is produced by the flowing in of the love of God. So let the love flow in. Even if you feel you're not worthy, God loves because He's loved, not because you're worthy. And if you are unworthy, He has a way to make you worthy through judicial redemption. So stop whining about being unworthy. And say, I have Christ as my righteousness. I am clothed with righteousness. My sins are forgiven. God approves me according to the standard of His righteousness. Right now the blood is cleansing me. And I'm going to open my being to the triune God of love to send a love tsunami into me right now. Amen. Enemy, shut up. Stop accusing me. We overcome you by the blood of the Lamb. Okay. Here are eight points of the bridal love. First, to love the Lord is to appreciate Him. So the Lord, through His Word, through His ministry, wants to enlarge our appreciation of Him. The more you know Him, have the excellency of the knowledge of Him, and appreciate Him in His person, you'll spontaneously love Him. There is no such thing as love without appreciation. So I've illustrated, I can tell when a brother worships his car, his new car, and really appreciates it. This test is quite reliable. You see, I've had enough experiences of cars to not have any personal affection for them. So I drive it to its place, I get out and walk away. But a young brother who has a new Lexus or whatever, when he gets out and walks away, he becomes like Lot's wife. He looks back. <laughs> An affectionate, look, I've seen this so many times. And I did it when I was a young fellow. You appreciate it. So you love it. We begin by appreciating the Lord. And the Spirit will work in you through the Word to increase your appreciation of Christ. Okay, number two. To love the Lord is to set our being on Him. We're focused. We love Him. This is a happy point in wedding meetings. The bride's sister is very focused. If I were the bridegroom, and I had the feeling 
that there is another person in her heart while we're saying these things to each other I would stop the procedure right there love is about focusing your being on one person so brothers you know if um, you are awake and are pursuing the Lord and you've got feelings for eight different sisters I would submit to you you're not remotely clear stop until there is one we focus our being on the Lord we center our being on him love has this effect it doesn't mean oh no I've got to work all day to try to center my being on the Lord no let the Lord love you you love because and when you love you focus your being on him you love him more than anyone else number three to love the Lord is to open to him only the marriage relationship is the relationship of full openness this is clearly in the word this is brother Lee's fellowship with us it's the nature of that relationship to live in the light well if we love the Lord we'll be open to Him but I think there are at least a few of you who are kind of afraid of this that if you open to the Lord then painful things will happen to you so you have to protect yourself by not opening to him well let me tell you this if you love the Lord and give him all the ground in you painful things will happen to you but if you don't love the Lord and you love the world more painful things will happen to you. I mean I like to be realistic with you if you're afraid of what the Lord will do tell him you're afraid of what he'll do he already knows he hasn't sent an angel to do away with you you just say Lord Jesus I need more trust in you I can only open this much okay you have an honest heart eventually you'll open your whole being I wonder how many open vessels the Lord has in Europe let's just say Italy I don't hardly anything about Italy as the Lord looks at Italy can he identify one absolutely open vessel in Italy? What about Greece? Bulgaria? Portugal? Any place? These open vessels are channels for the Lord to flow in. There's a life study in Philippians, it might be message 7, where Brother Lee talks about Paul as a channel. When the Lord moved in Russia, He sent open vessels there. He sent certain brothers there that were absolutely open to the Lord and to Brother Lee's leadership in the ministry. And because you had open vessels, the Lord could freely move. And the principle will always be the same. That's why we need a love that will produce the openness that will enable the move 
So love opens. And the Lord will love you and love you until you open. You just abandon yourself to Him. It will be a great jubilee for you. Number four, this one you'll like, I believe. To love the Lord is to enjoy Him. You, you simply enjoy Him. And He enjoys you. Number five, to love the Lord is to give Him the first place. That's Colossians 1.18. That He might have the first place in everything. And as the Lord loves you and you love Him, you'll give Him the first place in the way you take care of your health. Brother A may take care of his health for God's economy. Brother B may take care of his health out of obsessive self-love. Many of those young people who work out in health clubs, they're narcissists. They're in love with themselves. They don't take care of their vessel for God's economy. Who knows why they do it? Just to have big arms like the governor of California? You know? But even in this matter of our concern with health, who is first? Though it has to work in me to have the realization, I need to take care of my health for the sake of the recovery. I think it matters to the saints whether I'm healthy or not. I believe they're burdened for this. They pray for this. And the same thing in the matter of managing money and any number of things out of love to learn to give Christ the first place. So is that number five? Okay. Six, seven, and eight. To love the Lord is to be one with Him. Oh, Love just makes you one. You want to be more one. You can't bear it for there to be any kind of separation. More and more, the distances are removed. You just sense there's no separation. Nothing between. Isn't that a lovely sense? We have a hymn in our hymnal. Nothing between, Lord. Nothing between. But it's the nature of love to just make itself one with the object of its love. Number seven, to love the Lord is to live Him. So you can't just pluck out for me to live as Christ and isolate it and then tell the saints, live Christ, live Christ. That's ethical. That's not God's economy. Then, then the serious saints will try to live Christ, which is an elaborate way of saying they'll try to be what they can't and try to improve themselves. Paul lived Christ because he appreciated Him. He set his being on Him. He was open to Him. He enjoyed Him. He gave Him the first place. He was one with Him. So he just lived Him. I want to live the one I love, not myself. Number eight is the highest. To love the Lord is to become Him. There's a hymn it's an H in him in our hymnal. I don't know the number. It might be in the 300 somewhere that it says, man, whatever you love, 
You will become that. Dust, if you become dust. Love, if you become love. So, how is the bride produced? It's produced by this love with these eight characteristics. And eventually there are persons who enjoy the Lord. They're fully open to Him. They're one with Him. They give Him the first place. They live Him. And they're the same as He. Adam could say, okay, this is, this time it is. That's bone of my bone. That's flesh of my flesh. This is me in another form. The Lord needs to say this concerning the bride. How can we be the same? Now you see how the high peak of the divine revelation blends in with this whole process. The bride must be the reproduction of the bridegroom, the same as he is in life and nature, in constitution, appearance, function and expression, but not in the Godhead. It begins by appreciating the Lord. It ends by being the same as He is. What kind of love is this? Imagine the transport of this love when the bridegroom is manifested and we are raptured. This will be the greatest wonder the universe has ever seen. Here is the marriage. No wonder there's this proclamation in Revelation 19. The bride has made herself ready. You get the sense of, at last, she's ready. Right? Just look at her. The marriage of the Lamb has come. Blessed are they who are invited to the marriage dinner of the Lamb. It sounds like you're a guest there. But you are invited by being part of the bride. There are no observers who are neither the bridegroom nor the bride. They're just observers. You're invited by being part of the bride who is there for his satisfaction. Okay, I, I try to give you this outline. Let me read you the rest of the, the printed outline. And then, again, I'd like to limit my speaking so in the principle of the body there can be some response and I hope you won't be self-conscious you'll just follow the moving of the spirit within you to stand up as a way of saying please send the mic my way and you just speak something okay if the spirit gives you the feeling to speak that means the body needs your portion in a practical way and when you stand up we're all going to stand up with you and we're going to draw your spirit out of you. We're not going to be examining you or weighing you or criticizing you or comparing you with anyone else. Because that kind of thing is foreign to the body of Christ. The body of Christ is an entity of love and it's building itself up in love. And so I hope love will give you the assurance so that when the spirit prompts you sensitive, shy, inward sister to speak something, you'll eventually... Stand up, receive the mic, and let the Spirit flow. Okay? That's a little word of encouragement. Now, point three. The Lord's recovery is for the preparation of the Bride of Christ, who is composed of all of His overcomers. So we need to know what the Lord's recovery is for. Now, if tomorrow I give you a message and say, 
the Lord's recovery is for the building up of the body of Christ, you won't be bothered. You'll say, wait a minute. I perceive a logical inconsistency in the ministry. Oh, because in the previous messages you said the Lord's recovery is for the preparation of the bride. Now you're saying the Lord's recovery is for the building up of the body of Christ. I'm lost. <laughs> well, that's true. You're, you are lost. <laughs> if you have the view, you'll realize the building up of the body is the preparation of the bride. The bride is prepared first by being the body. All the overcomers will be the new Jerusalem as the bride of Christ for 1,000 years in its initial and fresh stage. Eventually, all the believers will join the overcomers to consummate and complete the new Jerusalem in full as the wife of Christ in the new heaven and the new earth for eternity. So, you have a choice. It's either now or later. Not whether. You don't have that choice. When God chose you and predestinated you before you existed, He eliminated the choice of whether or not you will be part of the wife. But you do have this choice where you give yourself to the Lord in love to be part of the bride in the first stage. Or when it comes down to it, will other loves be so important to you? And will your soul life be so precious to you that you'll just postpone this participation? I know of one extreme case. I know this family and this family, sorry, they've suffered grievously after separating themselves from the Lord's recovery. The father was a handsome person and the mother was a lovely person. They produced four exceptionally attractive children, two sons and two daughters. And the older of the daughters was remarkably beautiful. And for whatever reason, chose not to take the Lord's way as a young person regarding male and female relationships. But decided to go another way with a strong will. And this was her parting word. She said, I know that I will be saved through fire. But this is the way that I'm taking. Oh, that's strong. But at least it's straightforward. Now she's middle-aged. I have no idea that she remembers that. Uh, love is a powerful thing. It can be a dangerous thing. We should guard our heart regarding who and whom and what we love because the enemy will try to use the love in the heart to distract our being from the love of the bride. And we can't control our sons and daughters. Only God can determine their spiritual pathway. We can do our best. But even knowing this, our heart aches, our heart breaks, we, we, we would be in travail over them, but the fact is, it's your heart. You decide what's going to happen to your heart, who will be the person living in your heart, what kind of love will be in your heart, and whether your heart will be given over to the bridal love for the bridegroom. We need the young generation especially to settle this with a strong decision. My loving capacity, my heart, even my human need in relation to love, all of it is consecrated 
to the Lord that the love in me will be preeminently a love for Him. I give myself to be a part of the bride. Whatever it takes. The Lord needs this. This will bring you into an enjoyment of the Lord beyond what you've ever known. For the readiness of the corporate bride depends on the maturity in life of the overcomers. You know the difference between maturity and transformation? And the related question, is your goal personally transformation or maturity? Well now you may say maturity because you sense maturity is going to be higher than transformation and so you want to say it's higher but that's not honest. Many of us, our goal is to be transformed so we, we at least make it into the kingdom. Okay. That's a good place to begin with. Good place to begin with. To be transformed is to be changed in your life by the divine life. To be mature is to be filled with the divine life that changes you. So maturity is higher than transformation. Both transformation and maturity are illustrated by the experience of Jacob in Genesis. Through many experiences, he was transformed. But his experience with the loss of Joseph was for maturation. Jacob became an empty vessel filled with God every time he thought of his son. He would realize the uncertainty of it, the ambiguity of it. There was never closure, so-called. Maybe Joseph is still alive. We never found the body. He only showed me the garment. He might have escaped. And for years and years, he was in that situation till he just got filled with the divine life. Then when the word came that Joseph was alive, he didn't react in the flesh. Then he went to Egypt, and the two of them are, re are reunited. And then you realize who is the real king there. When Jacob is blessing Joseph's two sons, and transfers the blessing to the second, and Joseph tries to correct him, he says, no, Ephraim's not the firstborn, Manasseh is the firstborn. Jacob says, I know, my son. Those words, I know, have the weight of kingly authority. Now you have a Jacob not only transformed, but matured. Hebrews 6 does not say, let us be brought on to transformation. It says, let us be brought on to maturity. And we should have no other goal and no other expectation for ourselves, but full maturity. That's Ephesians 4, unto a full-grown man. So I'd like to prophesy over you, you will all reach full maturity. Amen. Since it will happen sooner or later, why not sooner rather than later? Then you can be part of the dispensational instrument. In the New Testament, the word mature is used to refer to the believers being full-grown, mature, and perfected in the life of God, indicating that we need to grow and mature unto perfection in the divine life. We need to continue to grow until we are matured in the divine life to become a full-grown man at the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. A mature believer knows the body and cares for the body 
being body conscious and body centered. Then the next section is building. The overcomers are not separate individuals, but a corporate bride. For this, building is needed. The overcomers are not only mature in life, but also are built together as one bride. The central and divine thought of the Bible is that God is seeking a building as the mingling of himself with humanity. The goal of the Lord's recovery is to recover Christ as life and everything to us so that we may be built up. In sections 4, 5, and 6, we will see respectively three characteristics of the bride. In 4, it's maturity. In 5, it's building. In 6, it's beauty. Brothers, we need to be beautified. Okay? Uh, the Lord will marry a beautiful bride. According to his standard of beauty. <clears throat> and I love this. As the bride, the church needs beauty. The beauty of the bride is for the presentation of the bride to the bridegroom. And if you've been in wedding meetings, you see that the bride's sister devotes considerable attention. I don't know how many times she may wash her hair and her helpers will get her hair ready and everything ready. Beauty is for the presentation. And we're in the process of being beautified, but not cosmetically. There's no cosmetic surgery in God's economy. The Lord will not beautify us by cosmetically altering the old creation, and neither will it be by external beautification. The, the real beauty is seen in point B. The beauty of the bride comes from the Christ who is wrought into the church and who is then expressed through the church. There is nothing more beautiful than to see Christ expressed in a human being. It's lovely. It's lovely. That person without Christ may be rather ordinary. But when Christ is wrought into that person and it's expressed through that person, that's beauty. Our only beauty is the shining out of Christ from within us. So you need to let him shine. That's why in a minute or two, when I stop and you speak, you need to let him shine. Otherwise, we're just going to see you. And we'd rather see you with Christ and Christ in you. It's the combination that is so lovely. But don't hold up a mirror to yourself while you're speaking. I mean, that's kind of vain. Just follow the Spirit and let the Lord out. When the universe sees the bride, according to Ephesians 1, there will be praise to the glory of God's grace. This is a masterpiece. What a beautiful corporate person. What Christ appreciates in us is the expression of himself. Okay, I realize it's 1 o'clock, but can we take 10 or 12 minutes? Tom, can we take 10 or 12 minutes for prophesying? I don't think anyone will, will die of hunger if we take 10 or 12 minutes. We started a little late, and, and I used a good portion of time. I believe there must be 8 or 10 or 12 or so. 
that will have some feeling to share a little something. So let's do that now. And we'll get the microphone to you somehow and delight in one another's portions. Okay, your turn.
on the first message, this is a process of the trying God, just dispensing himself into us to make us his reproduction, for his confidence expression. The ultimate continuation of this is just a plan. This is the satisfaction that he's after. This is the longing in his being. But I realize only by his mercy can such a longing be, be duplicated in me. That the longing in his heart will be, will be the longing in my heart. That his satisfaction will just really be my satisfaction. So for this I need his mercy through the speaking of the ministry to show me through the speaking of the ministry to unveil what's on God's heart to his economy, the body of Christ, for the preparation of the bride. So day by day, I want to be one who fights to acquire these experiences of the trying world. And also for the vital love to begin by appreciating. I can't appreciate what I don't see. But when the ministry speaks through the shining and the enlightening of the spirit, there's an unveiling that causes me to see little by little that, Lord, you're just after yourself. But not separate from me, but being one into me and then out of me. And also from the speaking, not just an individual expression, but a corporate expression. Pray for Lord. But the, the church as the bride of Christ is a matter of satisfaction and rest in love. As I appreciate this satisfaction and this rest is the rest of our bridegroom. Amen. I just appreciate the Lord desires some who would uh, who would not be satisfied unless He is satisfied. Amen. I just realized so much of this world wants us to, to take many other substitutions for our satisfaction. You know, we're satisfied with so many other things. Christ appreciate the Lord desires uh, because he is filled us with his love. Uh, we are not satisfied unless he is satisfied. Yes. And, and there is no rest in our being unless, unless there is rest in him. Amen. Pour out the alabaster flask upon the Lord. 
And we all need to be such persons who just love the Lord. That we don't care about ourselves. And we waste ourselves upon Him. And you just realize that it is not our love, but it's our receiving Him as our love. That we respond and correspond to the Lord. Praise the Lord for His loving, His love that has been poured out. And we receive and we enjoy. And that we give our all to Him.
Our satisfaction, which we all long to be uh, found to be the ones he wants us to try, but for his satisfaction. Before we wait for lunch, you will be pleased to see the food. So we say, one, one, five, nine. Can we all stand up and say that? One, one, five, nine.